Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you talking all things IndyCar. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are we doing? Doing pretty well. Pretty well. Yourself? Pretty well? Yeah. 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 Me too. Sure. Why not? <laughs> There's a lot of lot going on in the world. Not just in IndyCar, but uh, you know, football's back. And you know, we know, you and I were talking about it. It just kind of were... We're those simpletons that uh, once football starts, we kind of just start drifting a little bit. Well, I would say I normally don't feel that way, but it's just getting hard to follow. There's just so much going on. A lot going on, and I think we're all anticipating, you know, I don't know how you feel. I'm more anticipating the off season than these last two races, and I know that may sound crazy, but... I look. I'm. I, I'm. I guess I'm. Like, I'm excited to crown a champion, but I'm also excited to see next year's schedule, and I'm excited to see how the uh, silly season works itself out. And do we have a third OEM potentially this off season? You know, I, I. You know, those are the things I'm truly excited about. Yeah, I. W- I would agree with you on the schedule. Silly season, <laughs> OEM. Uh, if IndyCar is that lucky, I think with these announcements for next year for drivers for the schedule getting pushed back further and further it you're just kind of you're trying to anticipate but it's been so long that you're almost underwhelmed in a sense right and you know the storylines they start shrinking too this time of year you know when you're really zeroing in on two three maybe even four drivers for the championship other ones are just playing out the string know that they're gone james hinchcliffe ryan hunter ray and other ones you know are, are going to be on the move so how much are they really yeah, there are other teams giving them in terms of intel. So it's almost just like playing out the string for the majority of the teams and drivers here, especially these final two races. But um, it is going to be an exciting final two races for the championship, though. That's for sure. I, I still, I don't know how you feel, Caleb. I'm still going Joseph Newgarden at this point. I'm going Pelot. I'll tell you why later. Okay. Um, I'll have uh, some details on that as as for my reasoning. But enough of us complaining about waiting on news. We, we have a race to recap. <laughs> we did have a race to recap, the, and it uh, was an interesting one. It, it was. The Grand Prix of Portland at Portland International Raceway last weekend. Alex Pillow wins the poll, wins the race. You think it sounds pretty simple on that, obviously, if you watched it or listened to it. You would know that is not the case at all. Um Turn one, lap one incident between uh, Felix Rosenquist bumping into Pelo and Dixon. Pelo and Dixon on the front row. And they went off, and it caused a start of events that kind of changed the race. And yet, in the end, everything kind of worked out for most of those drivers. At the end, in the championship battle, it was Pato Award, the leader. He assumed the lead after that turn one, lap one incident, but did not work out for him in the final standings as Award finished 14th. Alex Blow again gets the win. Scott Dixon in third. Rossi finishes in second, same as his starting position. Going down, Jack Harvey fourth, tying his uh, best. He started 20th. Joseph Newgarden in fifth. And then if you want to include uh, some other notable things, Felix Rosenquist uh, started fourth, finished sixth. And then Marcus Erickson started 10th, finished seventh. As we throw in uh, the other championship contenders uh, in there as well. So taking a look at our three takeaways from Portland, I think my first one is, can we please just have a race without a ridiculous incident to start <laughs> in a long caution? Just please, I'm begging these drivers. I understand how competitive it is, 
and you got to pick your spots and you have to take advantage of every opportunity because of how close it is and it's a spec series, blah, 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 blah. We hear this all the time. However, when you get to the first turn and you have a caution that lasts 10 laps, I mean, this wasn't even like a major thing. Like, Grosjean had damage, Hinchcliffe had damage, most of the other cars involved, I mean, Power had to replace, I think, like a front wing, Oliver Askew was out uh, due to uh, damage from that, but I mean, this is not like a huge crash as far as debris everywhere, it, it just took forever to clean it up, I guess my, my gripe is, if you expected there to not be an incident, turn one, lap one, you're not paying attention. And it's just, it's frustrating this keeps happening. Well, I think the majority of the issue with the long caution was trying to figure out where everybody slotted in. Oh, yeah. Um, with the restart. And even then, you know, there were plenty of angry parties over where they were slotted in. Um, it's it's a near impossible track to get through turn one without something happen, particularly when you're putting 27 cars on track. If there were 18 or 19, maybe you got a shot. But there's 27, and it's just going to be next near impossible. So the track isn't conducive to avoiding a lap one, turn one issue. Um, and then, you know, I, I think IndyCar needs to reevaluate just how they slot these these cars in after the fact. You know, looking at what they wanted to do and what it was like, you know, you had to go over two markers and you had to be here. It was convoluted. If you went straight, you were punished. But what about if you were punted, basically couldn't make the turn, you're still punished. There, you know, part of me says there has to be a better way, but also that's just a lot of cars going for a little real, real estate and sometimes just bad luck catches you. And, you know, maybe it's up to these drivers to be more responsible than, than counting on the, the uh, counting on IndyCar to get it right after the fact. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the, the penalties. So they had uh, penalties for, you know, going to the rear of the field for Pelot, for Dixon. Who basically and, didn't make the turn. They just went yeah. straight through. And then Rosenquist. I, I, I mean, do you think. Pelot and Dixon deserve penalties. They were hit from behind by Rosenquist. No, but by the rule book, yeah, they deserved a penalty. It's just there's there's not going to be a perfect solution to that situation because every driver is unique. Every driver's situation is unique. It's their fault, not their fault. Did they make the turn? Did they not make the turn? It, it's, it's almost a near impossibility to make it fair for everybody involved. I don't have the solution. Except maybe drivers need to hold each other accountable instead of relying on the series to figure out what happened and what's going on. How about they hold the the drivers a little bit more responsible and maybe that's who you punish. Maybe look who caused that caution serves the penalty. But then again, you come back and say, you know, who really caused it? You know, there could be some conjecture there. So there's no perfect solution Caleb, I just think there's a better solution than what we saw last weekend. Well, I agree with you that the drivers need to police themselves better. And you've even, you know, Scott Dixon, I think, has made comments recently about that and just how kind of ridiculous this is getting as far as some of the crashes go. But, you know, between this and between 
uh, you know, get, yeah, like just you know, there needs to be a. This is two different conversations because there needs to be an actual designated start zone on ovals. This is completely different than what we have. Well, we needed here. a better designated start zone at Portland, in my well, opinion. Yeah, but you know that still kind of doesn't solve the uh, the the lap one turn one issue. But it also comes back to everybody just playing games on starts, whether you're on in the front row, back row, middle. Everybody's just looking for an edge and i know that's auto racing right you're always looking for an advantage but at the same time to your original point caleb when we're dealing with this race after race after race it gets old and there needs to be better policing by the by the drivers or some harsher punishments out of indycar look if you create an accordion effect at a at a at a oval or any event i don't care if you're the pole sitter you're you serve a penalty but you know, then you come back on if you're if you're really punishing the the responsible party. So it's a slippery slope for sure. But IndyCar really needs to reevaluate this in the off season. I think the restarts were frustrating on Sunday because there's no consistency. Yeah, I mean, guys were were taken off in different areas. I don't think the driver in first should dictate where the restart zone is. I would agree. I think the series. Yes, you know, and race control should dictate when the race restarts. There is a designated Geico restart zone in NASCAR, and I know you know most of them are ovals. It's easy. There should be a designated zone at every single track that IndyCar goes to that says, "Okay, when you cross these cones, you can accelerate." Yeah, I, and I know they've done that in the past on ovals. Right. I mean, before. I remember the cones kind of sticking out of yep. the fencing. You know, correct. I mean, I, I, I just think it should be everywhere. Look, you don't go until you enter that zone. I'd be on board with that. I, I mean, overall, though, it's just th- these starts and contact, you know, on situations like Sunday. I mean, it just it got ridiculous because it took so long. And, and it's not to clean up the caution. It's reordering the field. It's such a mess Yeah, uh, in these situations. And somehow they got to find a way to clean this up. Um, in the off season for next year. All right, your first takeaway. Oh, you kind of stole the majority of my mojo, <laughs> but um, you know, let, let's look at Alex Polo. I mean, the kid comes in, never been to Portland. I mean, he's never been to any of the final three racetracks. Comes in, gets pole, uh, starts up front, gets cycled back due to the the chaos, ends up leading twenty nine laps. And winning the race, holding off Alexander Rossi, who I thought, you know, maybe had a shot to get his first win in a couple years, but fell short of Pelot. And he's doing what he needs to do to stay atop the standings, you know, flips it and and jumps Pato Award with two laps to go. I mean, with every passing race, uh, um, you know, the odds get greater and greater that Alex Pelot is going to win his first championship. And it's not due to luck. It's not due to other drivers having issues. He's executing and getting the results he needs to to win a title. Yeah, I like the phrase he used, executing, because he's come back from that crash at Gateway that he had nothing to do with, from a mysterious uh, blown engine at the end of NDGP. Wow. At the the big machine GP, NDGP2, if <laughs> yeah. you will. Mysterious blown engine that was a fresh engine. And he overcomes that. He wins this next race. He's leading with two races to go in the championship. And I mentioned I had something on that. And this from Eric of uh, uh, Race Review Online. 
and this stat is is fascinating to me. Uh, Eric underscore race reviews the Twitter handle. The driver to lead the IndyCar standings with two races to go has won the title in five straight seasons and six in the last seven years. So trending in the right direction for Mr. Alex Pillow. Yeah, and with a 25-point lead, I mean, that's pretty substantial compared to Pato having just a 10-point lead going into this the previous race weekend. Yeah, most definitely. So it uh, it was a fruitful week uh, weekend for Alex Pillow, and he's my, my number one this week. Well, and I, I've said before that I think the driver that gets to three wins is the one who is the champion. Now, I'm not saying that Pato couldn't get to three, or New Gardens won two, right? Yeah. Gateway, and he won Detroit? Was it Detroit? Uh, I think so, yeah. So, you know, he could still get there, but it's going to take at least three wins to win the championship, and I think that's why Plo has the leg up at the moment, because he's the first to three wins. I mean, it's kind of a down year as far as having a, a dominant driver or two i mean last year it was dixon early and then new garden to close they those two though had the bulk of the wins it's been a lot more spread out uh this year compared to before so actually new garden it was mid ohio my apologies yes mid ohio was the win you know interestingly last year how many how many races did he win three or four uh new garden last season let's see here and it he was didn't definitely win the title. at least three it was more than this year uh, he won four races last year. So, yeah, four races, still didn't win the championship. Uh, he's at two this year. So, to your point, a little bit more spread out with everything that, you know, he's still lurking there. But you would think if he had four wins this year at this point, he would be in first by a sizable margin. Yeah, by quite a bit. Um, so, I think with Pelot, like you said, he has stayed the course. He's He's overcome stuff beyond his control. And he's he's making it work to his favor, and you know, good for him, because I don't think anyone going into the season expected what he's doing this year. Not at all. Kudos. Now everybody's going to be hiring hiring every driver they possibly can from Super Formula in Japan. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the next <laughs> the next trend. Forget F two and F three. It's, it's Super time for Formula. Super Formula. <laughs> yeah, well, Team Go. That's right. You love Team Go. Absolutely. All right. What's your number two? Okay, number two. I'm going to stay with Team Penske. But how about the rest of Team Penske this season? Ooh. I mean, they have combined on the team with their four drivers. They have three wins, but two of those from Newgarden. Newgarden is is held his own. Will Power is eighth in the standings. He got into the turn one lap one mess. Not the, the guys near the front, but mid-pack. Finished 13th. Uh, he won the race, the Indy GP2 race, but, th- I mean, that's been it. He's had a couple go not his way. For example, Detroit. <laughs> Detroit won. That should have been probably a win. Yeah. Um, but then Simon Pagano, winless, and we expect him to be gone. And only two podiums for Simon. And Scott McLaughlin, who has had a couple of decent results lately, but, I mean, he had a terrible stretch in the midseason. He was ninth Sunday, fourth at Gateway. I mean, he's been solid on the ovals outside the Indy 500 and still kind of trying to find his own on the road and street courses. It's not been a good year for Penske, and, you know, that makes you, th- you know, when the, when the rumors are that they're going to contract to three, makes sense, uh, partly because of their struggles this year and partly because look if there's not a driver worth that fourth seat Penske's not going to run them so 
Um, you know, it, it is a, a fascinating storyline. And then we bring up, you know, uh, in my opinion, when you look at Team Penske and they look at this lineup and they say, okay, Joseph Newgarden's the alpha and Will Power's nearing the end of his career. Simon is going to be gone. Scott McLaughlin, a serviceable year one, but can he ever be at the level of a, of a you know prototypical Penske driver. I'm not saying he can't, but I think the question is still out, is does Penske go out and get a Kyle Kirkwood, for example, to maybe hedge its bets going forward for the future of this race team? You know, I think we expect Kyle Kirkwood elsewhere, and we'll get to that on, on a Silly Season update later, but your point holds that they need to find... The future, McLaughlin and Newgarden, I guess, are kind of the now, but those guys are, you know, late 20s, early 30s. I mean, Penske doesn't hire that many young drivers, but, right. I mean, they they missed out so far on Herta and Pato. Now, I think that could still change, though, in the coming years. You don't want Joseph Newgarden to be Scott Dixon in the sense that he's consistently competing for championships and has no help from teammates up in the standings like was the case for Scott Dixon for several years in a row. You don't want that to be an issue. I don't think that's an issue for Team Penske going forward, but it most definitely has been a down season for the team. You don't want that to continue into another season. And a couple of Penske updates on Silly Season that came out from over the weekend. Uh, Jenna Fryer saying that Simon Pagano tells me he can't reveal what he'll be doing in 2022 just yet, but says he's very happy with his plans. And then Jenna follows that up with Team Penske indicates if a driver leaves, it will not be a four-car IndyCar team next year. Uh, so that's kind of where that stands for 2022. I think we both expect Pagano to be gone. Most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you ready for my two? Yes. My second? Is Alexander Rossi finishing runner-up a disappointment or a victory? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a victory in the sense that he gets a really good result. It's a disappointment because he was right there and just couldn't chase down Pelo. I mean, he got close, yeah. and then he made a mistake, went off into the dirt, and then that was it. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like any race for Alexander Rossi that's not a win at this point is a disappointment because of the length he's gone between wins. Uh, it's a step in the right direction. I get it, first podium, but I, you know, I feel like Alexander Rossi. He said all the right things afterwards for sure, but I still think there's just going to be until he gets that win. You, you, if you don't get that big trophy at the end, it's a disappointing effort at that point. So he's getting closer. You know, fifth at Mid Ohio, fourth at, uh, at at GP two, and then second at Portland. So maybe he can get a win by the end of the year. Who knows? I but. mean, Long Beach is the finale. And if there's a track that I think he can do really well, I mean, I think the next two he can do really well at because I think Andretti will be strong. Because last time we were at Laguna Seca, Andretti was really strong. Colton Herta dominated in 2019. Yeah. So, we'll I mean, there's an opportunity. He's got a shot. And, look, it's better than finishing 23rd. I get it for sure. So, um you know, I, yes, it's a step in the right direction, but I also think there's a sense of disappointment there as well. Oh, for sure. Um, my third takeaway, hmm, I, I'm going to go with the broadcast. Okay. I, I got something to uh, to complain about on the broadcast. 
Uh-oh. I thought there was a lot going on. I thought there was a lack of... We've talked about this via text and just discussing off-air. The lack of a strategy kind of expert on the broadcast. And then also some some late-race decision-making on the production. Uh, Nathan Brown pointed this out. Nathan Brown of the Indy Star pointed this out on uh, Twitter. And, you know, my thoughts exactly on this because in the moment it was just kind of a ridiculous <laughs> move but they went to uh here's here's the exact phrasing there's 10 laps to go in a battle for first within a half second why are we running through the field back to 10th yeah it just it didn't make sense at the time i thought it was weird because i'm sitting there watching the uh time gaps you know between positions and because i've watched so much f1 this season compared to normal because it's actually been somewhat entertaining yeah I keep looking for that one second gap to the point that I'm like, oh, he's in a DRS, DRS zone. zone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting confused. I'm getting my series confused. But, yeah, we, we had a a second through the field. This was not the first through the field. A bonus a through the field. second through the field as opposed to covering what's happening up front when there was actually you know, some action going before Rossi went off into the dirt, as I mentioned, and it went from being about less than half a second to 1.2 or 1.3 seconds. But... We at least ha- had that, and then you've talked to me about it, and I'll bring it up, but, you know, Graham Rahal, who we thought halfway through the race, was going to win this race. Yeah. I don't think there's any Similar doubt. Similar to the Indianapolis 500. And they didn't bring him in to pit before that yellow that was involving a Kellett and who was the other driver with that? Kellett and, and Eilat? Eilat, yeah, before he went out. So Rahal didn't pit, and I'm thinking, oh, they're just win his race. Well, then they talk to Graham's strategists and like oh we think we're okay and it was kind of confusing were, and they just kind of said well that's that they didn't really question no. the, the move that much i thought that was very bizarre as well well my my dad after the fact and he, he's a casual observer said you know they never did explain what happened to ray hall what happened to ray hall and i i was like you know what i really can't tell you i don't know what happened to ray hall and you know let, let, let's let's be honest the, the, the through the field is a crutch it's okay. Yeah. Either we're in a dead spot during the race. We have nothing to talk about. And sometimes it is, you know, you know, I, I always use Texas as an example with this. Is like eventually, if there's nothing going on on track, you know, through the field, whatever. But closing laps, you're doing it to your point, and with so much going on on track, doing it through the field at that time tells me that nobody has the capability in the booth or in the pits to break down what is going on here. And why drivers are here, and why drivers are here, and what they're thinking, and all that, and it just goes back, and it feels like beating a dead horse sometimes, Caleb. But there's just nobody on that crew that can break things down and say, "No, I don't care what the crew chief said; they're screwed." There's no Jan Beekus or someone similar. Larry McReynolds on the Cup side, like you know, we'll, we'll criticize Cup at every opportunity that's just what we do here but having a larry mcreynolds type is is great and then they brought in steve letard or no larry mcreynolds is on fox right letard is on uh NBC. nbc but both networks have that guy that they can talk to and and even i thought steve letard yeah he was a rookie at the indianapolis 500 but i thought he brought a different dimension of things that we don't get just for clarification steve letard Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> Latart. But yes. they say it pretty quick. Man, you know, let's see, whatever. But um, 
it's just it's it's missing in IndyCar, and I don't know if it's if it's a lack of understanding. I do think IndyCar trends towards servicing the casual fan more than the intense fan, the diehard fan, and maybe this is an example of that. But we're basically getting carbon copies. And, and look, I, I love Townsend Bell and I tolerate PT, but they're basically giving this the same analysis. They're former drivers, right? And, and that's great and all, but I don't know why we need to double up. Why not have a former driver? Oh, and also a crew chief or whoever or somebody who can break down these things because right now they're missing so much and it leaves you with questions at the end of the race i thought of the perfect guy and everyone's gonna roll their eyes or want to want to turn this off after i say it oh let me guess (laughs) let me guess scott goodyear no oh no 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 now this will make fans i think more upset okay brian barnhart (laughs) i mean he is a crew chief. Uh, I mean, he is the strategist for James Hinchcliffe. That's true. Um, look, I would take a strategist. But look, everybody's excited talking about James Hinchcliffe next year. Potentially, if he doesn't get a ride or at least full-time ride, he's going to join the, the, the crew. It's another former driver. I don't need that. I need somebody who's going to be able to break down things to simpletons like me to understand why this driver did the undercut and why this driver didn't do the overcut and why this crew chief is saying this and why they pitted here and why they didn't do this here and you're just not getting it on NBC. The only thing that James would provide that is different is James has driven the car that has an aero screen. So right. that would be the new thing he could provide. Yeah, and I, and I look, I'm, fi- I'm fine with, with Hinch. I got no problem with him being a, a, in the, in the you know, pit reporter or whatever. I'm just saying, I'm just, you know, what are you adding other than you're adding in just another former driver? And then Dario Franchitti, I love Dario Franchitti, right? But if you added him to this, it's just another former driver. It's the <laughs> same thing. You know, it's it's not saying these guys are bad at their jobs. We just need another dynamic that's adding something else to the broadcast because, you know, I feel while Formula One races by and large are not as exciting or much going on in the field than IndyCar, I feel like I know exactly what's going on in Formula One races. I mean, to be fair, that's a much bigger TV budget. I understand that, but... And AWS, you know, that's probably out of IndyCar's price range, okay? (laughs) But you're telling me you can't hire somebody else to be that person, to fill that role uh, that would better help us understand races because it's sorely, sorely lacking. And it's frustrating because when there's a lot going on, we need that person that's going to have that that view and step back. Okay, here's what's going on, right? Um, so that frenetic pace of races where we had so many guys doing so many different strategies and doing this, that, and the other, it's a lot. And I need somebody to, to say, hey, stupid, this is what's going on. These are the drivers in an advantageous position. These are the drivers that are screwed, and this is why. And I don't think we get that. No, no, I don't I don't think we do. And with Graham Rahal, I mean, this is a situation where normally his team has quick pit stops and puts them in a position you know, to advance forward. Well, this weekend, it was the opposite. I, I felt like his team let him down by not calling him into the pits. Graham qualified fifth. Can you believe that is his best starting position all season? I believe it, considering how bad he qualifies, yeah. by and large. So, I mean, he had the opportunity to win a race, and I thought, I mean, his team let him down on the sense that the strategy was not there. And, again, in the moment, it was puzzling why he didn't pit. And... Then we, we saw him come out and 
he got passed by Harvey, and then he kept getting passed to the point where he slipped all the way back to tenth. Yeah, it was it was it was puzzling. And look, I, I, you know, the more cars you have, the more stuff that's going on. I understand that. I just feel like this crew needs help. Uh, this NBC crew needs help by somebody to be able to break this stuff down, and and not just for our benefit, but I think for their benefit as well. You you can't tell me you know put PT and Townsend Bell in a position where they're supposed to understand all this stuff that's going on when that's not their background and that's not what they're really focused on. So uh, I think it would help the broadcast. I think it would help the personalities on there, and it would make races like what we saw at Portland much much easier to follow as well. There was a lot of action in this, but yet, like you said, it, it felt kind of hard to follow what was going on. All right, your third takeaway. Well, 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 let's talk about the uh, everybody's favorite, Roman Grosjean, <laughs> and a very forgettable weekend. And he was a guy that was vocal, said, you know, I don't really like Portland. And it showed. Started 21st, finished 22nd. Um, what do we take out of this one? Uh, you know, one of the few blips we've seen for Mr. Grosjean all year. Yeah, he he really struggled, and he also found himself the target of some social media love. Really? Which was entertaining. Uh, Becky Hunter Ray uh, tweeted, The 51, two laps down with a move like that, and it's a uh, gif of her husband Ryan kind of chuckling and shaking his head. (laughs) Do we think that has anything to do with Romain Grosjean taking over that seat? I mean... Yes. Yes. The answer is yes, (laughs) Yes. absolutely, it does. Um, You know... Sour grapes is what I see that as, to be honest. But, you know, I don't, I don't really blame her in this situation. But Not, not the only IndyCar uh, wife slash girlfriend to have some uh, heated words. And well, I would have, Scott Dixon's wife yeah, I, was using a lot of exclamation points. Yeah, I think that one got deleted, really? as they always seem to well, do, because I seems, can't find it. <laughs> it always seems to. I think Emma is very emotional, the emotional one uh, amongst the two. And I think Scott is the voice of reason. Usually it's the opposite. Usually it's the male that can't control themselves, right? And the female has to talk him off the ledge. But I think Scott Dixon, who always seems to be even keeled, is, uh, you know, I, I he probably was like, Emma, you know, let's just relax. Let's calm down here. Yeah, that tweet has been deleted. So apologies. Uh, no longer out it there. It was a good one. It was it, very it was fiery. She was mad at IndyCar for the uh, sending Scott to the rear of the field when which, he was hit from behind. Yeah, which again, I, fair, fair, but that's the rule. Like you can question the rule, but the rule was the rule. So, uh, unfortunately for Scott Dixon, that was that was the that was the rule. But he he recovered nicely. Well, and it's not just that we think that Grosjean is taking over for that oh, seat. He is. I mean, he pretty much is. We Marshall Pruitt had the report the other week. And then Andretti posted a, a nice farewell video to to Ryan Hunter Ray this past week, you know, and and DHL also said farewell as well to him. So, yeah, that that's happening. We just don't have the announcement yet. It could come any day. But yeah, it was just a very forgettable weekend for Roman Grosjean when we 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 question whether he can be consistent enough on ovals next season to be. You know, a top 10 driver. Uh, here we are at Portland, where he had his worst finish of the season outside of those uh, two wrecks at Detroit. Yeah, I'm not so concerned about the ovals, to be honest. No, I'm concerned so. about the street courses and then a track like Portland, where 
there's not a ton of runoff area and there's a lot more carnage. I mean, you're going to have a lot of carnage at Detroit, Toronto, if it returns, which we hope. Um, you know, oh, it's Long, coming. Long Beach. I, 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 you know, Roman Grosjean likes those really technical tracks where you have to hit your marks and all that and put lap after lap after lap together. And Portland is just kind of that bruising road course, right? Where you're just kind of elbows out type thing. Yeah, whereas IMS Road Course is, I mean, again, tracks that are similar to F1, Yeah, he's going to excel at, go figure. So, you know, it it was a very forgettable weekend for Grosjean. We'll see if he can regroup and um, and bounce back at Laguna Seca. All right, some other uh, notes and takeaways. 12 lead changes, according to IndyCar, and that is the most uh, for this event, so... Again, we at least had a lot of action, so that's a good sign. Considering you just you never know what to expect with Portland, I, I think is kind of how I look at it. Going yeah. in, it's it's kind of hard to tell. So it was a, a new record for that track. Uh, also, on the flip side, we've had a crash. Uh, now, ten of the last thirteen races at Portland on a first lap incident. That, according to Calhoun ninety eight, uh, Russ Thompson on Twitter. Is there, and I thought I saw a post about this or something, that you can extend that uh, configuration to not be as dramatic in turn one? I'm not sure if you can or not. I, I don't know. If I mean, besides different. Just having him go straight through and then turning right? Um, uh, that's my only. Well, I mean, if you just treat it as one, you take out the chicane. Mm-hmm. basically what I'm saying because then turn one would be turn four and it's kind of a looping and all that but then the problem is is you really take out turn one is one of your best passing zones also you, on that you're, track. you'd get lap times that are so quick that I mean they already do 110 laps I mean you'd have to run like 125 130 yeah for because sure the so, lap time would be so quick yeah I don't know if if you know I, I just feel like I look at that at that configuration, like that's going to cause a problem every single time. To be honest, I mean, I, it's going to be an outlier when you don't have an issue turn one. It's similar to lap one turn one at the GP. Is it's a miracle if you're able to get to through turns one, two, three there without any major issues. And somehow, sometimes they actually pull it they off. They actually do it right. <laughs> so. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just a thing where, hey, you know, maybe there needs to be more of an emphasis on guys. Let's just get through turn one, okay? Nobody die bomb anybody. If you have to break break earlier instead of later, like, come on. Uh, I think it goes back to to the drivers too. Like, you know, you just you got to think. You know, similar to when we talked about needing a restart zone. Like, co- come on, let's. And maybe that's the series needing to corral it and make like maybe we shouldn't trust our drivers all that much and we need to control this a little better. All right, taking a look at the TV rating, not like we expected a whole lot. Hey, it's up. Yes. Yeah, so that's all we need to know. Uh, 666,000 viewers and up from last year's NBC Mid-Ohio race, which aired on essentially the same weekend, which was 635,000 viewers according to racer.com. So that's where we're at with a TV rating. Again, you're not going to get a million plus viewers on a Sunday afternoon nope. on an NFL Sunday. Nope. It's not going to happen unless something crazy 
is going on and usually by that i mean something bad unfortunately it's it's football season folks and auto racing takes a back seat especially on a sunday afternoon plain and simple and to be honest i had to find some at at one point on sun on over the weekend i was expecting not to get to the race on monday until monday because sunday morning uh was out went on a long bike ride was going to get back wanted to watch the early games and I was going to go to a pool party, actually, and take take my son. So we were going to be there all day. And then the Bears, I had to get ready for their loss on Sunday night. So I was like, I don't see any time here where I'm going to be able to watch this race. Ended up finding some time in the afternoon to squeeze it in. But, you know, I'm a big IndyCar fan, yet even I am like, man, when am I going to watch this race around this football? And let alone casual fans. All right. Any other uh takeaways for you from portland i thought it was a solid event i was trying to like kind of look and you know gauge attendance and was it good was it you know tolerable was it not so good you know portland is kind of one of those questionable tracks we look at and it's a place that indycar needs to be but you know without a title sponsor how do the finances look you know i felt like the crowd was okay yeah i don't know if the crowd was good or bad and i haven't honestly read anything anywhere where the promoter, which Green Savory uh, promotes that race. I haven't heard anything positive or negative. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just, uh, it's. Uh, I hope it seemed like the fans that were there are very engaged, but, um, you know, I, I know it was difficult too with, uh, you know, everybody having to wear a mask and all that stuff and, and all that. So I don't know. I, I thought it was a pretty solid event, and, and I hope the Grand Prix of Portland can get a title sponsor for 2022. I think it would really boost that event for sure one other note marcus erickson with another top 10 he now has eight in a row going back to his first career win at detroit one and even before that i think it was like a couple top 12s or yeah i mean his worst finish is texas one in 19th but he's finished top 12 in every race otherwise very impressive by marcus erickson the guy that you know maybe me more than you is looking at maybe potentially the odd man out of uh chip ganassi racing at the beginning of the year Oh, for for sure. All right. Silly season. We have a lot to get to. Let's start with the confirmed stuff. Callum Eilat will complete the season with Hunkos. And then uh, there was another article not long after that about uh, him and, you know, looking at IndyCar options. In fact, uh, I think Motorsport is saying that he's in discussions about a switch to IndyCar in 2022. I thought uh, he, perf- yeah, I, I thought he performed admirably over the weekend. Qualified nineteenth was, um, you know, was putting competitive lap times down, and you know what did he? He lost power mm-hmm. in the race, had a mechanical, ended up finishing twenty fifth. But for his first time out and his first time in an Indy car whatsoever, um, I, I thought he he did not embarrass himself, and and I think that's the that's the number one priority in your first race like that. And then uh, Marshall Pruitt finally released that Silly Season article that we've been waiting waiting for. for like three weeks. For weeks. And, uh, well, there's a a lot of nuggets uh, in that. A lot of nuggets that we learned over the weekend. I'll start with stuff over the weekend. Uh, Nathan Brown, the Indy Star, saying uh, Grosjean told him he only recently decided to commit to running a full 2022 campaign. So he'll make a run at the Indy 500 next year. And also says, I haven't signed any contract. Yes, that's not correct information. So we've kind of had a battle over that on whether he has signed a deal. Um, so that was one of the takeaways. But do we expect him to be anywhere other than Andretti Autosport? No. 
Okay. No, we do not. And then we learned uh, a couple of notes on Sato. That seems to be the latest update. So Jenna Fryer the other day saying, Honda officials say it has an ongoing discussion regarding sponsorship of Takuma Sato for 2022. Several team owners have said they are waiting to see what kind of dollars Sato has, enough for full season, or maybe just any 500 before making a deal. And then we uh, get an article on motorsport.com, David Malsher Lopez, uh, mentioning that Sato on brink of deal with Dale Coin Racing for 2022. Dale Coin says uh, that Sato is at, at their 80% essentially of, of a deal is kind of where they're at with bringing him on. Dale says, I'd say we're 80% there, but there's willingness on both sides to make it happen, and that helps. I feel like it's a natural fit with being able to bring Honda money and Dale Coyne being able to bridge the gap of whatever that is financially and hire a multi-time Indianapolis 500 champion, checks all the boxes, in my opinion. And then the last paragraph, notable in the article, because I think it's the one of the first times I've seen it more of a confirmation than a, you know, just on a rumor mill type article. Uh, Jack Harvey expected to be confirmed as Graham Rahal's teammate next year at Rahal Lennerman Lanigan Racing. While the squad additions, other drivers, there's new third full-time entry, Santino Ferrucci, Christian Lungard, and Oliver Askew. Well, I mean, Jack Harvey was able to finally, you know, the last couple races he's been solid, but the mid-season was just absolutely brutal to him. So a fourth um, at Portland was big for him. We'll see if he can continue to have the strong finish before he heads over to RLL in the offseason. Yeah, and I would assume he's bringing a sponsor with him for that deal to happen. Potentially, probably, at least maybe not a primary, but you know, a couple, at least a full-time primary, but maybe it's a couple that uh, that can you know kind of bridge the gap a little bit with the other money from the team. And then this from Nathan Brown on coin. Um Coin indicating he's planning around losing Grosjean moving forward, said he's working to fill a two-car team for 2022. Both the number 51 and 18 are up in the air. Vassar Sullivan returning on the number 18, not finalized either. And we've kind of seen more rumors on this, but Kyle Kirkwood could be a possibility for that 18 car. Again, kind of just... Depends on what is happening. And so we'll get to Pruitt in his article on racer.com on silly season stuff. Really nothing on Foyt's. Um, kind of depends on what Rocket wants to do. Uh, Dalton Kellett interested in staying with the team. Bourdais uh, also interested in, in staying with the team. So nothing really to report there. Andretti, we expect Grosjean to move over to the number 28 car. Herda Rossi set. The 29 is open. Uh, Marshall says uh, Devlin G. Francesco expected to be in the car next year as part of a multi-year deal. Um, and then Hinchcliffe, it kind of comes down to, you know, does he take a limited deal, Indy 500, maybe throw in a Toronto, and then do stuff for NBC Sports? I think that is probably the most likely scenario. Yeah, I see that as being the most likely scenario. Maybe Hinch gets a three, four race deal and then does NBC the rest. Maybe it's just a month of May type thing, but I don't see him being a full-time driver next year. And then Aaron McLaren SP not expecting a third car for next year, but in 2023 and, you know, that's so far, I don't even think we can begin to speculate beyond what we've Let's said on here. Let's talk 2023 silly season, Caleb. <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> uh, Carlin Racing, so Chilton has looked around, 
And um, if he doesn't come back to Carlin, uh, uh, Marshall says it's hard to say where else he'd land. Um, they also want to be a two-car program, so mentions Connor Daly as, as a fit for that team. But Marshall says, I've heard too many names mentioned as replacements for Daly at ECR to inspire much confidence as far as him remaining at Ed Carpenter Racing. Now with Ganassi, so we have Scott Dixon, Alex Blow, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Kanaan all under contract. The outlier, Marcus Erickson. And this is where it gets kind of confusing. Erickson unsigned for 2022 despite reports elsewhere of a multi-year deal. Marshall says this, however, is expected to be resolved ASAP with a new multi-year agreement. Now, my guess is this is getting held up because of a sponsor issue, not because of a performance issue. Sounds like it. I, I you know, it goes back to the potential, you know, Husky chocolate. Is the money there or not there? We're not sure. I don't see this as being an issue going forward. I think Chip Ganassi finds the money somehow to keep Marcus Erickson. All right, Dale Coin. I think this is where it gets interesting. So Alex Albon, he goes back to F1. That's who Marshall mentions as, you know, a possibility at the time. However, we don't really know. We don't, in fact, think either driver will return with Grosjean gone. Ed Jones not expected to return, Marshall says, as well, to the 18 car. A lot of names in play. Obviously, you mentioned Sato. Um, but Marshall says on the Vassar-Sullivan side, it could be... Kyle Kirkwood, and that would be the Indy Lights driver moving up. And that's just simply because there'd be no room at Andretti, which, again, this whole thing makes no sense to me. Why would they let him get away? But well, but here we are. I mean, it, it screams financials to me if they're taking Devlin DeFrancesco over Kyle Kirkwood. Devlin DeFrancesco brings more money than Kyle Kirkwood. That's the only thing that makes sense to me with those two. Other drivers mentioned by Marshall, James Hinchcliffe, for the number 51, a return by Connor Daly. Also, David Malukas, uh, rumored assembly of domestic solutions. So he's American. So the rumor there is Malukas could be a co-entry with his father's HMD Motorsports team. So that would be a funded entry, depending on what happens. I mean, yes, they bring sponsorship, but also if Malukas hangs on wins the lights title, he could also... Uh, bring that extra million and in, in change or so by winning the lights title and that scholarship. Yeah, uh, I think there's a lot. Um, uh, he's going to end up somewhere, right? Um, and I think, to be honest, if he does not end up at Andretti, Michael Andretti would be kicking himself for letting him get away. Then Ed Carpenter Racing, we know Ed Carpenter's back. Renus VK is back. After that, we don't really know with Daly. It all depends on the Air Force sponsorship on what returns. Marshall mentions Ryan hunter Ray, Kyle Kirkwood, David Malukas uh, also have been spoken as people who could fit for ECR. Malukas the only one with a budget really to add on top of what the Air Force or another sponsor could contribute there. And then with Junkos, um, you would think Eilat would be, be the guy, but Marshall says Callum Eilat isn't a sure thing to return next year. They've not signed him. They would not have signed him for the last three races if there wasn't a chance of keeping him if all goes well. So to me, that reads as Ilot is the guy. I mean, when they when they brought him on for the final three races, I think they did that after the test. To me, it says that's who they want to go with. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think 
the most sensible answer usually makes sense in this case. And then Meyer Shank Racing. Marshall says, not ready to formally state that Simon Pagenaud will be driving for Meyer Shank Racing next year. I can say about a dozen solid people have told me it will happen. Obviously, LAO, the other car there. I don't think that's a surprise. And then with Ray Hall, it's really the third car because we expect Graham Ray Hall to be back. In fact, he's confirmed. Jack Harvey will also be there as well. And the third car just comes down to Christian Lungard, Oliver Askew, Santino Ferrucci, basically whoever probably does the best over their string of races and can somehow maybe bring on a little bit of a budget. That's a little bit's better at. than none? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't too silly of a silly season update. I expected more chaos. but Well, there's more chaos, I think, on the miscellaneous yeah. part. So Penske, we know, love Newgarden, Power, McLaughlin, and we do not expect Pagina to be back. Top Gun Racing expected to run a, a few more races uh, next year than the two they ran this year. So the miscellaneous, so team owners not happy about the doubleheader Iowa. I actually agree with them. I don't like it. Also, Marshall says a return to Homestead Miami Speedway was being explored to the point where the series was looking to hold spring training on the combo oval and road course. But track owner ISC is said to have shot it down. And uh, that's kind of where we're at on on that aspect. And again, we had heard that from IndyCar Deep Throat, that that was a possibility. And there ISC, we have confirmation. ISC put the kibosh on that then. Yes. Which, you, you know, why? why? Why do you shoot it down? Is it they don't think it could turn a profit? Is it? I, I don't think it's, oh, ISC is blocking IndyCar from expanding its schedule. No. I don't think it's that. I think it's financial. And quite frankly, I don't really disagree with them because I've always said Homestead, it sounds easy. Oh, it's a warm weather venue in Florida. It's a great place for spring training. But who is it bringing out to the race? I don't know. Maybe it would draw. But I think ISC is looking at it and like, look, uh, we took it on the chin last year. We're still struggling. We're not in a position to green flag events that could lose money. Significant amount of money. And and with that, I think the the next thing to get to is the schedule. And we've been kind of waiting. Apparently, the schedule could come out as early as this weekend at Laguna Seca, definitely by Long Beach the following weekend. And uh, a look at the possible schedule Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com with that out as well. So St. Pete could be moved up. They're, in fact, holding a vote with the city council to determine and, and changing the date. So that kind of that outcome of that depends on that vote. But it could run as early as late February. And that Ooh. date would be February 26th or sorry, February 27th or March 6th. Then March 20th, Texas Motor Speedway. You have Long Beach, April 10th, Barber all the way back to May 1st, so a week later than it was this year. Normally it's early April. Uh, the NDGP, May 14th, Indy 500, May 29th, Detroit, no week off in between this time, June 5th and 6th, Red America, June 12th, then a long gap, July 3rd, mid-Ohio, so that'll stay that July uh, 4th of July weekend slot. Toronto on the projected schedule, July 17th. Iowa, July 23rd and 24th. We already know that one. The Indianapolis GP2, this confirmed with the Cup weekend. That'll be July 30th. Nashville already confirmed for August 7th. Uh, Gateway, August 20th. 
Portland, September 4th. So that'll be back on Labor Day weekend, like it's been in the past. And then Laguna Seca, September 11th. And that would be the season finale. 18 races. Really no major surprises. We're still up in the air on Toronto. And then the other surprise is just the, the date change for Texas and also St. Pete, those being possibilities. Which I, I thought initially maybe Texas would be coinciding with a cup date, but Texas does not have... Same date as cup at Coda, though, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you would be wrong. It's a week after. Okay. Coda's 27th and IndyCar's 20th, right? So... Yeah. Um... Uh, it's tough to judge yet until we officially gets released, and hopefully there's some Q and A, and we can get some questions answered. But you you were you were pretty fired up when this first thing first came out. I just I, I don't know. Date equity is supposed to be important, but here we are moving stuff around constantly. At Barber, all the way back in May. I mean, having three races in May plus everything that happens at Indy. I mean, that's a lot for the teams, especially because there's no week off after the. Uh, 500 you go straight to the double header at detroit uh, it's just it's a lot for the teams and texas i mean you, you keep moving it around but nothing's working to me that should have never left that traditional you know early to mid-june date that they've had for quite a long time i don't know that just moving races around is, is never good i prefer an oval before indy and texas gives us that so look it's not going to draw that much anyway no matter where you put it and maybe to your point, maybe it would draw better if they kept it in one place. But I do like an o- I do like the 500 not being the first oval on the schedule. Um, was the potential for Homestead? You know, maybe they were looking at March for Homestead, and then when that went away, they were like, "Oh crap, we need to get a a, a, a race, an oval before the 500," and then moved it. So I don't know. I'm gonna I'm, I'm going to be um, I'm going to leave it open and see if they explain some of these. Um, decisions once they officially release the schedule not too keen on gp2 again but we already know that's happening i know that's happening uh i i look i'm perfectly fine with a 17 race schedule without that race and i know everybody's gonna be like more races is better i you know okay but it's just you know it's oversaturation to me i would like 18 to 20 unique events that aren't double headers i mean but i know that's that's dreaming and the tv ratings will have to get there for that to happen. Uh, there's growth you know but you know but um you know we'll get there slowly but surely all right well if you agree or disagree with our thoughts on the preliminary schedule again not the final schedule for indycar next year we'd love for you to interact with us also our thoughts on portland as well uh, you can find us new track record podcast Dot com the website while you're there subscribe to our weekly email list so you never miss an episode interact with us on social media like us on facebook just search for new track record our twitter handle indycar podcast and our email address new track record podcast at gmail.com okay justin time for the mailbag and we have a website submission so via the website we have an email and of course plenty of tweets to get to this week first one uh this courtesy of brandon he says uh, hi i'm from raleigh north carolina and remember as a kid going to the indycar race in richmond every year it was held there i know it was on the schedule for 2020 but COVID ruined those plans there are plenty of rumors but is there any chance that the track will return for 2023 or either i think he, he said 2023 i think he meant 2024 
or, or even 2022. Uh, the Mid-Atlantic states need an IndyCar race as Pocono is closer to the Great Lakes than the Atlantic. If the race ever comes back as well, we go to VIR and Road Atlanta to watch Moto American IMSA. I'd love to be able to see any cars again without making a nine-plus-hour drive. We've been to Gateway in Nashville, but Richmond would be a dream track. Love the podcast. Well, thank you, Brandon. Chance on Richmond returning. Um, the problem with that is Homestead was just nixed by who? ISC. Who owns Richmond? ISC. There you go. Now, I could see economics changing, ISC feeling a little bit better of where it is financially uh, further away from the pand- pandemic, or at least 2020, and what that did uh, to their bottom line. But, you know, it's not good when they shoot down one venue that wants to potentially host an IndyCar race, and then you're looking at another one that you'd like to add. I, I feel like IndyCar returns to Richmond at some point. I would agree. Maybe it's 2023, maybe even 2024. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of things have to happen between now and then to make that happen. Do I think IndyCar returns to Richmond 2025 or earlier? I'm going to go with yes. Yeah, and I would say, I don't even know if I would say 2023. I would say 2024 at this point. But we'll talk, we'll break down all of our thoughts about the 2024 schedule next week. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that's going to (laughs) happen. Just a guess. Just a guess. Just keeping the people coming back. All right, this email courtesy of Ron from North Carolina. Hey, guys, I thought Portland was a very solid race. It's deceiving if you look at the box score and see that Pelot won from pole, but the action from lap one to the end was very entertaining. This race deserves to be on the IndyCar schedule. I think a title sponsor it would help a lot. Our rating for this race is a solid seven. After watching the race on delay, I have a concern for next year. I am one of those people who subscribed to Peacock for IndyCar and plane to cancel the end of the season. I started watching the replay on Peacock, and it was quite frustrating. First, all side-by-side commercial breaks were blacked out with a we'll-be-right-back screen. This is very annoying because you miss all of that on-track action. And I found myself having to rewind after fast-forwarding too far. Eventually gave up on Peacock and moved over to YouTube TV to finish the race. As soon as I turned on the race on YouTube, I noticed that the Peacock replay wasn't as clear as the YouTube TV replay. If we have at least two races on Peacock only next year, uh, well, Peacock only next year, and every race is streamed there as well, they have a lot of work to do on the broadcast and how it translates from TV to streaming. I watched the pre-race on my phone, parts of the pre-race, on my phone while the Colts game was wrapping up before that was clearly going to be over. And it was fine on the time that, that I watched it. But I did not watch the race on Peacock. This was the first opportunity. Did you watch it on Peacock, Justin, or... Uh, different. Uh, no, I recorded it and watched it. Okay. Um, I, I will say I watched the Notre Dame game on Peacock Same. on Saturday. And I felt like it went relatively smooth. I would agree. In fact, I watched not, not the entire game, but I'd say most of the second half on Peacock. And it was smooth for me. So If that's an indication of how it will be for live sporting events next year on Peacock, then that's encouraging? Or do we look at it as Notre Dame is much more important than IndyCar, which is also highly possible? Um, But I will tell you, uh, the most frustrating thing to me watching Notre Dame, and I think you shared this sentiment with me, was you couldn't, I mean, you could, but 
you can't easily change channels. You know, um, okay, commercial with Notre Dame game, I'm going to go see what's going on on Big Ten Network or the, the, the Fox game, the big noon Saturday game. That is the number one thing I do not like about streaming. And I stream, like I use YouTube TV, so I stream sporting Everything, events. Yeah. Unless it's on, I have an antenna. So unless it's on antenna, like on local, you know, ABC, CBS, Fox, uh, NBC, if it's not on those, then I watch on YouTube TV. So that to me is, is a big part, among other things, of my love of college football is on Saturday, there's a game going on everywhere. There are four, five games going on at the same time on TV that you can turn it on to. You know, NFL, you get two at most uh, at once, if as long as you don't have the the package or whatever. But man, I couldn't do that watching Notre Dame unless I wanted to flip source and all that stuff, which I wasn't doing. So that's a big negative. You don't run into it as much with IndyCar racing, particularly for me when I don't watch live very much anyway. But um, I could see it as being, you know, something that, bothers some people next year when IndyCar has you know two races on Peacock only yeah you can't flip channels I mean you it's no you literally have to close the app and if you push the wrong button and exit it you know yep it takes a little bit to get back in there yeah and I haven't tried to watch a replay on there but I don't know if the replay includes commercials because if it does that would drive me nuts no I don't believe it does now I don't think it (sighs) No, I don't think it does. No. So I, I think those are taken out. That's that's a relief. <laughs> yes. Because that, that was my fear. So, all right, let's get to uh, more questions. These all via Twitter and taking a look at uh, what people had to say on there. So first, we'll get to rate the race. We'll just do that, get that out of the way. How would you rate the race? Me? I give it a solid seven. Me as well. Where I'm at. Thought it was good. I mean, you had some lead changes. Um, I don't know. It there wasn't a there were lead changes, but the I mean the action necessarily wasn't at the front. You know, minus pit sequence. You know, lead changes. Right. So we didn't have a a battle at the end. Really, we thought we might, but we didn't. Dumb yellow at the start. <laughs> that that subtracts. <laughs> we talked about that already. <laughs> but yeah, solid seven. So. What other people had to say, uh, 500 Indy 1911 on Twitter said eight. Love the multiple strategies. DC Soda gave it an eight. It's fun when it's in doubt. Which strategy will pay off for a while? It was hoping for Rossi to break through, but a solid race after the start. Uh, Hunter's Way 67. Decent race, though a terrible start as per IndyCar. I give it a seven. The restarts are getting more and more into F1 territory. The leader should not be allowed to accelerate until he is on the front straight. Hope the series changes that for next year. Yeah, we had kind of addressed yep. that earlier i agree great minds bill hesse uh or hesse says uh, seven back and forth on strategies five drivers and the championship helped also according to stitch eight but i give them a 10 if they can ever figure out how to get through turn one lap one successfully <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sounds like sounds like you yes uh nk harden gave it a seven the strategies were all over the place so you didn't know who was really going to benefit until after the final pit stops Field stay tight most of the race. No real passes for the lead, but a good eventful race. Uh, Daniel SEM2004 gave it an 8. Always crazy. First corner, first lap at Portland, causing multiple strategies. No one ran away with the race. Hope any car goes back. Uh, Jamin T14 gave it an 8. Good racing through the field. Multiple strategies at play and watching the 21, 59, and 14. 
fight like they were at the front was entertaining those last few laps. Yeah, we didn't mention that. That was exciting with VK yeah. and Chilton and Bourdais toward the end. Agreed. Yeah, that was some good action towards the back of the f- midfield. And then Zach Curley, 8771. A little salty that Rossi came so close yet couldn't close the gap. But objectively, a pretty entertaining race. I'll give it an 8. After a juicy Monza, this was the best Sunday of racing in a while. Yeah, Monza was very entertaining. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> For different I, reasons. And that was another thing because I thought uh, going into Sunday, I was like, okay, I'm gone in the morning. I'm going to be gone in the afternoon. I got to watch IndyCar race before F1. And then you uh, let me know something. You know, he said, it's crazy midway through the race. So I felt, okay, I'm going to watch F1 first. And it was absolutely crazy mid-race for sure. And then while the second half of the race wasn't altogether exciting, McLaren was one too, and that was cool. So I watched till the end. So that further put me behind when it when it came to IndyCar trying to balance with football. But uh, yeah, that was that was that was craziness and and definitely scary for sure between Max and Lewis Hamilton. All right, this uh, a poll you posted two races to go. Who wins the IndyCar Championship? 68% of you said below. 16% award, 14% New Garden, 2% someone else. And Jamin T14 said, A kid is so calm and drives far more mature and composed than many older, more experienced drivers. Hashtag looking at you, Will Power. I assume he is referring to Alex Pillow. <laughs> yeah. Man. he's uh, Alex Pillow is... is quickly endearing himself to the IndyCar fan community. I mean, the kid, I keep calling him a kid, but he very much feels like one, is an ultra-talented ultra driver, uh, loose, carefree, doesn't take himself too seriously, has fun off the track, but, man, it's all business on the track. This in response to the TV rating, Daniel SEM 2004 says, considering they were going against the NFL's opening week, it's not an awful number. Uh, Nick J. Fletcher says, let's be honest, don't like that number. <laughs> yes. 666. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, no, but let, let's throw it out there. The fact that 666,000, I would say people, but network, you know, televisions or whatever, chose IndyCar over NFL. I mean, I, I know it's not that huge of a number, but, you know, to me, that's a lot of people that said, you know what, instead of watching the NFL, I'm going to watch IndyCar. Let's just put it this way: If this race was back on Labor Day, no, do you think yeah. do you think they pull in, you know, nine hundred to a million plus viewers? Yes, I think they do as well. Yeah, I really do because you have college football on Saturday all day, but then you only really have that night Sunday night game. Yeah, so there's you're no not going up against football afternoon competition. Now, granted, Labor Day weekend, long weekend, people are at the lake or the beach or whatever traveling. Yeah but I still think you pull a much better number on that day. Yeah, even with the holiday weekend and people always say, oh, you know, it's death to be on holiday weekends. I don't, I don't think so. I think it would have done a better better number. Portland in the past has been Labor Day, and we, based on the preliminary schedule, expect it to be back. Uh, did it potentially help the the crowd, though, not being on Labor Day? I, I couldn't tell you because no idea. No, no clue. <laughs> no uh, clue. This from Poet Shevchenko in regards to the uh, rating as well. My closest comparison is Laguna Seca in 2019. They got 732,000 viewers with NFL competition. That was the season finale, though, so may have helped the rating. Absolutely helped the rating. And, again, we'll have Laguna Seca on NBC this weekend, but – you know, again, not the season finale. So, so who knows on what that will do? All right. So, 
NASCAR having the clash inside the LA Coliseum, and it's on dirt, correct? No, they're putting a temporary, temporary concrete. Okay, so it'll be a half mile? A uh, quarter mile. Quarter mile. Yeah. Wow. So that will be interesting in, in responses to this. Um, this is just such a unique thing. It's because we pray, to talk well, about At least it. I went on Twitter and praised it because I think this is a, when you're trying to think outside the box, you go to a historic locale, you have, you know, what was a Bud shootout, now it's the clash, right? It just kind of gotten, you know, lame at Daytona. But the date is what is key. The, the, the weekend before the Super Bowl is just huge because there's nothing else going on. Yeah. It's an empty Sunday. It's an empty Sunday unless you're into the Pro Bowl, and then I'd highly question your sanity. <laughs> um, but it's just a great, you know, and I think it's it doesn't have longevity. I think we're week se- or, you know, year seven, year eight, we're kind of growing old. But for a couple years or even just focus on year one, on how unique it's going to be, I think it's a home run for, for NASCAR and, and kudos to them. You know, IndyCar just can't afford to think outside the box like that they cannot financially go out and say we're going to try something crazy and it's okay if we swing and just have a giant miss right cup can do that and they're doing it at the la coliseum i think it's phenomenal it's a unique idea and i think it'll get people to watch uh, Hickey93 says, stop being so divisive, in parentheses, joke. <laughs> uh, Scuba Steve 85 in the last decade, I've only ever watched cup races because they were on. I didn't have anything else to watch, but this is going to be one I make sure to catch. Yeah, I, I think kind of like Bristol being on dirt, you know, right. same kind of concept. You want to watch. Uh, Hunter's Way 67, grasping at straws more like it. <laughs> He's I disagree. Not on board. I, think, you know, I, think it's, um, you know, I think it's thinking outside the box. And yeah, uh, you know, if if they can move the clash from Daytona and it's just another Daytona race uh, to something unique like this, incredible. This from Daniel SEM 2004. Uh, them is a NASCAR saying LA is their number two fan market is absolute BS. Fan turnout in Fontana has been pathetic in recent years. The race could be cool, but it will be a crash fest. Which I think sells to the cup fans. Yeah. That's I think true. it's just going to be unique. Like, you know, a unique locale on a weekend that is starving for anything um, to fill it. And I think it's it's great timing. Great timing. This in response to Sato possibly uh, going to Dale Coyne Racing next year, Hunter's Way 67, saying that would be huge for Dale Coyne Racing to have a two-time Indy 500 winner there. He has at least four more years in him. Job done. You know, I honestly, I'm kind of surprised there's still – you know, after he's kind of being forced out at, at Ray Hall, I'm surprised he's still in play for a full-time seat, to be honest, but good for him. Well, I think it's it's advantageous that Honda's behind him, and I think, quite frankly, it benefits IndyCar the longer he stays around and potentially bring bridges that gap to the next Japanese IndyCar driver, the better. I, I In terms of worldwide relevance, IndyCar takes a hit if they do not have a Japanese driver um, in 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 the series as a full-time driver. You you and I have seen it at Indianapolis. I mean, the amount of Japanese journalists uh, that are all over the place in Indianapolis in the month of May is just crazy. And, you know, there'd be a fraction of those if a Japanese driver wasn't in the series. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a huge following, not just from Japan, but also, you know, by Japanese Americans. I mean, it's just there is... 
there's too much to lose and not much to gain if he's not full-time, in, and that, in my opinion. And that's how Dale Coyne sees it. And, oh, yeah, if he goes out and wins a third Indianapolis 500 for Dale Coyne, all the better. All right, this from Bauer Racing. Putting the Notre Dame uh, game on Peacock seems genius now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, worked out well for him. So uh, I'm curious if, if you watched on Peacock. I want more people's thoughts. I, I posted a poll. I think it was 60-40. Uh, people watching on NBC versus Peacock, at least on on what they plan to watch. But just curious what people thought. You know, tweet us, email us, message us on Facebook, snail mail, whatever. Um, you know, if you watch the race on Peacock, kind of your your takeaways. Uh, and then this on the uh, the wow, I was going to say Aero Screen, but the <laughs> Halo. You posted some people, but is the Halo Aero Screen really worth it? And then there's an incredible photo, uh, Max Verstappen's uh, one of his tires on the halo of lewis hamilton's car um uh, jay fleur 370 said could you imagine losing lewis hamilton like that to remove something that saves lives to make joe race fan happy i don't get it happy tuesday yeah Um, absolutely coach underscore eckert are people really saying that i he said i did like that i think he meant to say i didn't like the clunkiness of the middle year bolt-on but i like the look of the car now I think he's talking like when they had that advanced frontal protection. Yeah, that was just it yeah, was that just, looked weird. But with the aero screen, it's a it didn't look very advanced. Clean, to yeah. Me. It just looked like a a stick. That's <laughs> <laughs> what it was. Fair, fair. Yeah. All right, as always, tweet us, email us, send us a Facebook message, snail mail, and uh, you can get your questions uh, on the following week's episode. All right, time for news and notes, and I think the first thing to get to. As Justin is falling asleep. Sorry, I just, it's been a it's been a day. <laughs> been a day. Thursdays are the long days for me. That's true. First uh, bit of news, and I think this is more of a, a clarification, but it's something that we've been unsure of for quite some time, and it's talking about leader circle. And appara- apparently, Marshall Pruitt is unsure about it too, which makes us feel a little bit better. Yes. So, I I got an email via Trackside Online, also. There's in a story of Pruitt's cooldown lap Portland on racer.com talking about the same thing. So it was unclear on the leader circle, but now we know only full-time entries are eligible for earning leader circle contracts. And let's so, be honest, you were the one that f- f- believed that. You were the one that said, I don't think that's right. And, you know, stupid me go, well, Marshall Pruitt said it has to be true. <laughs> well, it was confusing because we didn't really have clarification, but we did learn some things on this. So really the, the battle for leader circle is pretty lame. <laughs> You're right. The final two are pretty much not close. So top 22, get it. Car in, in 21st is Felix Rosenquist, 189 points. And then you have... Chip Ganassi Racing is number 48 Honda entry. Again, this is by car, not by driver. That's the key thing. So uh, that is in 22nd at 178 points. And then after that, you get to 23rd, and you have the number 59 of Carlin at 144, and then 24th, the number four of AJ Foyt Racing at 130. So the part-time entries of the number 45 at Ray Hall, the 06 at Meyer Shank, not eligible, making this pretty much useless yes the race is not a race at this point and another thing that i learned i think this is via trackside online so 
teams can only have three cars on the leader's circle, like originally. Now, Andretti uh-huh. had four in the beginning. They were grandfathered in. But originally, teams only had could have up to three. So one of the Penske cars, I guess, does not have leader circle is my there understanding needs to be a leader circle uh quick reference sheet to understand what's going on yeah so this from from trackside online Can there be we, uh, weekly leader circle standings <laughs> so 22 entries team must enter all the scheduled races and unless grandfathered in only three entries per team but like okay so renis vk now did somebody fill that seat when he was out yeah okay so, and Carlin got an exception. They missed that one race due to travel issues. Um, what they miss? Was it NDGP? Uh, the first one? Yeah, yeah. So, they, they get they get an get exception. It'll it'll be counted. So, the only team grandfather in, as I mentioned, Andretti Autosport, they've entered at least four cars since 2016, according to Trackside Online. So, the number three Team Penske and the number 48 Chip Ganassi Racing injury is not eligible for the leader's circle – this is according to Trackside Online. So it's very confusing. <laughs> yeah, these two are already conflicting. All so, over the place. So the number two at Penske, the number four, the number five, seven. Uh, okay, this goes through all the different. I'm not going to read through all of them. But <laughs> according to Trackside Online, the uh, the number 48 is in 22nd. And they are eligible. And again, the the number 45, which is... 23rd again not eligible for leader circle again this is so confusing but at least we have some clarity some some but more confusion (laughs) kind of like when i go into work and they're like okay we're gonna have a meeting to to uh you know you'll you'll get a lot of answers and i had one of these today walked out with more questions than answers so how much is the leader circle factor playing in for penske because it's you know, that has to play a factor. They're, you know, they're like, we don't want to run four cars, but then they ran four. Well, and then now they're not having as much success. I think if Penske could have, could find a hot shot driver that it was a hundred percent wanting, it would go for, they'd find a way to do it. But I just don't think there's anybody out there that Penske wants that they're going to run. They're not going to run somebody just to run, basically. So I don't know if the leader circle money affects Penske as much as it does Dale Coyne. True. <laughs> That's true. I don't I don't think it does. So, But, yeah, the leader circle, in the end, majority of people are getting money. A couple people aren't. How that they get to that point, I, I'm really not exactly sure. Yeah, I, I'm not either. I do hope that next year it's expanded even if by one, but that's me. I mean, ideally you, you have for every full season entry and I mean, eventually you have to cap it at a certain number, but you, you get something, you know, I mean, if, if the, here's the thing, if the fields keep growing, but the leader circle doesn't, I think that's a problem. You had a leader circle for 22 cars when you had 22 cars or 23 is it still going to be 22 cars when you have 27 full-timers? I don't think that's fair. Nor is it advantageous to your teams. Because, you know, by and large, 
your new teams are going to be towards the bottom of the standings, and they're, they're not, not getting that money. Have a, have a chance to even right. play their so, race their way into yeah. it. Yeah. And, and to, to some teams, that's a big deal, whether they get that money or not. For sure. All right, some business items. I don't know if you saw this article in Forbes, Justin. I did, was it the interview with Jay Fry? Yeah. Uh, I got absolutely nothing out of that article. <laughs> Is that bad to say? Are no. you going to give us some news? Because I read it, and it was the same quotes about the same things. Talked about the arrow screen. Talked about a third OEM. Yep. And... Uh, Fry says, the reason we haven't talked about the situation with Ferrari is those talks have been ongoing. I'd rather talk about something when it actually happens rather than when talks are occurring. We will continue to have those conversations until there's a third manufacturer. And he says a third OEM is going to become a necessity here in the near future. I mean, you could almost argue it's a necessity now with how the fields have expanded. But uh, that's where we're at. And then they're going to have the, the hybrid thing and also looking at going carbon neutral. But really not a lot out of it besides him actually saying Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I skimmed it. I started reading it, started skimming it until I found something that was actual news, and then I was at the end of the article. All right, some updates on Andretti in another series, and this from GrandPrix.com. Sauber turns down Andretti buyout bid, so we can kind of put that to rest for now. For now. But- for now. You know, every year I think this is going to be a thing. You know, Andretti's going to approach somebody, and whether they accept, eventually somebody will accept it. Adam Stern, uh, we haven't got heard much from Adam Stern lately. What is he up to? Well, he uh, tweeted before the the race weekend at Portland. IndyCar remains in active talks with a production streaming companies about possible deals for new docu series type content for 2022. Per Penske Corp EVP Jonathan Gibson. Do you feel that IndyCar, if and when they do a docu-series of some sort, would use 2022 to get footage for the season similar to Drive to Survive? Or do you expect something next year in this regard? Because technically, if you uh, you approach it as the Drive to Survive format, next year you'd film it and the year after it would come out. Yeah, I, I think you go with the Drive to Survive format and make your storyline that way because I just don't see how you do it in real time. Are you already waiting with bated breath for the Drive to Survive episode <laughs> of Monza? Yes. Me too. <laughs> yes. Everyone is. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then you're the one that originally texted me that. I was like, yeah, good point. Can't wait. <laughs> so we talked last week about Pato paying a hundred grand for live streaming yeah in mexico so he has that pato tv and he was paying for this and it was very confusing over the weekend because indycar announced that they struck a deal uh with mexican broadcast company Multimedios for live over the air race coverage of the final three races of the season on canal six uh, previously it was streaming via claro tv and what's confusing is did Pato's money just go to waste? Like, what what happened here? Yeah. Now, did he pay money for practice and qualifying streaming? And this is just for the races, in my understanding. But Multimedios is based out of Monterey, Mexico, according to Nathan Brown. That's where Pato Award is, is originally from. Well, now, he I spent mean, a lot of time in San Antonio yeah. as a kid, but he's from Monterey. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's a cable station and he's doing an over the air, you know, streaming type thing. Could be two different things. I'm not sure. It's I'm I'm slightly confused. That's by nothing all of new that. around here. <laughs> True. Uh, some other notes: uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway is having COVID-19 vaccines or testing at the track starting again Tuesday. That would be what September the twenty-first. And they have details on their website for that. Hunkos Racing, sorry, Hunkos Hollinger Racing has a new partnership with uh, Purdue University for students in motorsports, those interested in, in motorsports, the auto industry, mobility, and hospitality. So they have a partnership with Purdue and the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach has announced that uh, Michael Andretti and Tokyo Olympic silver medalist Benjamin Ray. I'm not sure how to sure. pronounce that. They will be the uh, grand marshals of that event. So congrats to both of them. Coming up here in a couple of weeks. And with that, I don't know if we have a whole lot else to get to besides we haven't even discussed Laguna Seca yet. Oh, one more thing. Sage Karam will be racing at Bristol Ooh. Uh, Motor Speedway. And he'll also be making his trucks debut at Martinsville uh, later this year. He'll also be at Charlotte as well. So he's racing this weekend at Bristol. That is this weekend, correct? The Bristol night race? Yeah. yeah. So he'll yes, race Friday night. And then uh, we'll see him at Charlotte and then also Martinsville later in the year. Very nice. Anything from IndyCar Deep Throat this week? You know, there's there's really not been... A whole lot. I'll I'll look, but it's just been kind of quiet as far as you know rumors and you know we've we've heard mixed things and Toronto and it sounds Toronto sounds a little bit more promising right now and then I think yes. that's encouraging because you know I I think if we if we can get back and have a successful event then it you know revitalizes that event potentially. So, IndyCar Deep Throat saying there might not be a race in Canada next year. Is Toronto still in limbo? No guarantee on a replacement race. Meanwhile, Homestead likely being pushed back to 2023. Which, you know, would make sense if ISC is like, look, we're still recovering from losing our butt in 2020, so let's push this back a little bit. Maybe that, you know, could breathe new life into opportunity at Richmond as well. So, that's really about it. It's just been quiet. I feel like we're in a holding pattern until the schedule drops or some silly season dominoes fall but that's where we're at what do you expect at laguna seca this sunday or this weekend so let's get into it so this courtesy of chad 200 his three key stats always love these every week going into a race weekend renus vk finished 16th or worse in the last six races the season so basically since his injury he has struggled since coming back and i wonder if after the season, there will be something that comes out that he wasn't 100% after that because he only missed one race yep. for a injury that we felt could be multiple races. Also, let's not forget James Hinchcliffe had an injury in the off season, a leg injury. We don't really know. We've heard rumors it's a broken leg. Who, who knows? But let's not forget about that if we're throwing out you know injuries as well. Uh, Passion out just one top 10 in the eight races since the Indy 500. And then Marcus Erickson, I mentioned it earlier, has eight straight top 10 finishes, 11 total this season. Taking a look at the schedule for the weekend, Friday practice, 
It will be 5.30 to 6.15 Eastern on Peacock, of course. Then on Saturday, uh, practice two. So what's weird is this is a three-day weekend for a road course event, and we thought we were only getting that for street course events. Yeah, a little bit perplexing. I mean, it's a nice bonus, but practice two on Saturday, 1.45 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern. And then qualifying, 5.05 to 6.20 p.m. Eastern on Peacock and IndyCar Radio and Sirius XM. And then the delayed on NBCSN, 11.30 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern time is Saturday night. Then on Sunday, there is a warm-up from noon to 12.30 p.m. Eastern on Peacock, IndyCar Radio, Sirius XM. And then on Sunday, the race on NBC, TV window, 3 to 6 Eastern, uh, green flag time. Let's see what we got here. It, it does not say specific. Hopefully not 42 minutes between the start so, of coverage uh, okay. and the race. So, okay, 3.30, and it'll be 95 okay. laps. So green flag expected about 3.30 Eastern, 12.30 Pacific time, 95 laps for the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey. Who do we expect to win this weekend? Um, I am picking Joseph Newgarden because I have As not, am I. Really? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I'm not giving up on his title quite yet. I, I think Herta will be strong. Um, this is a track he's won at before and his, what, only other start? Uh-huh. But, yeah, I, I think Newgarden, let's not forget, Pelot has not raced here before, and Pato Award has not raced at this track uh, before, at least as far as an IndyCar. Now, he's raced at it in Indy Lights, if I am not mistaken. Actually, no. No, he did not. So, that's uh, he did race, though, in Pro Mazda. Okay. In 2015 and 2016. But, yeah, he has not raced at this track for IndyCar. So, Plo and Pato have not raced at Laguna Seca for IndyCar. So, that's something to keep in mind going into the weekend. Didn't affect Pelo last week. No. We'll see. We should be uh, hoping for a fun race, and we'll see what the crowd looks like. Hopefully it's better than, uh, you know, we traditionally saw with Sonoma. Yeah, well, that's that's not saying a lot. So no, absolutely. Uh, with that, it is time for your random Split Era Driver of the Week. All right. Everybody's favorite part of the podcast here is we're going to go back to 1998. I think it was year two of CART. Does that sound right? Uh, year three. Year three of cart? Well, of cart since the split. Well, yes, since the split, <laughs> because, yes, we are in split era. And do you remember Vincenzo Suspiri? What? All right. Who? A success. Vincenzo <laughs> Suspiri, uh, or maybe Sospiri, I don't know. Fascinating story here. So he started, let's see, six races in the 96-97 season of the Indy Racing League, which was the first year? 96-97, yeah. Yeah. First season. Uh, actually raced at Indy. His first race was uh, the Indianapolis 500 and finished 17th. Not bad. Um, also finished second at New Hampshire 2. How do you not know this guy? I, I, I don't know. Uh, so 96-97 raced uh, six races for Team Scandia in the trusty Oldsmobile. Uh, one year, uh, excuse me, the year after, he was uh, he appeared in four races in cart for the All-American Racers. Yeah, Dan Gurney. Yes. Founded by Dan and Carol, or Dan Gurney and Carol Shelby, 
way back in the 60s. Uh, his, uh, his Eagle Toyota raced in four races in the latter part of the season. His best finishes were uh, Houston and Surfers, 15th each. Then he came back in 1999, Caleb. So if you're scoring at home, 96-97 in IndyCar, 98 in Cart, 99 comes back with ISM Racing to try to qualify for the Indianapolis 500, does not qualify. Uh, you the, failed to mention that he... That was what I was getting to. The Formula One part's yeah, the best part. His Formula One career. His Formula One career. <laughs> uh, so um, he was with, in 1997, was with the um, MasterCard Lola team that was one and done in Formula One. Literally one race and they done. They showed up in the Australian Grand Prix and were so bad, couldn't meet the 107% rule, that they were not capable of starting. Didn't, of course, make the grid, and that was the one and only race for MasterCard Lola ever in Formula One. DNQ. DNQ. So, um, yeah, after that uh, debacle, he went over and raced to the IndyCar season with six races, and then uh, went to kart, and then went to IndyCar. Again, his final appearance uh, in IndyCar or kart uh, was trying to qualify for the Indianapolis 500 in 1999. Uh, did a couple years of Le Mans as well, and uh, that's it. But interestingly enough, this is uh, fascinating to me. Is Suspiri was a he was a, it is an Italian driver, uh, born in the '60s, uh, was a major inspiration for Michael Schumacher uh, in a in a uh, magazine F1 Racing in 2012. When asked about his racing heroes, Schumacher replied, quote, to start with, it was Vincenzo Sospiri. And Sospiri was a big-time karting champion in Italy when he was younger. He said, so, so uh, Schumacher, to start with, it was Vincenzo Sospiri, then it was Ayrton Senna. Those two guys inspired me big time while I was karting. So we That's may not know. pretty big endorsement. Pretty, pretty huge. So Sospiri, maybe he didn't get the uh, fair shot, both in Formula One and uh, in IndyCar and kart, but... Um, just a fascinating guy. Won the uh, Formula 3000 championship in 1995. Uh, That's a pretty big him. series because I believe Montoya won that. Yeah, back in the day. So um, yeah, uh, you know, really interesting guy. As we always seem to find with this segment of the podcast, uh, is now 54 years old. He's from Italy. Who knows what the heck he's doing now? But Vincenzo Sospiri can can raise a glass to. This week, because he is our random split era driver of the week. Never heard of him, but I've learned a lot. And I'd actually heard of that MasterCard Lola team and their failure because it's just such a it's unique infamous. and remarkable thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, when you think how bad, uh, you know, some, you know, when you look at um, Lotus, uh, they weren't one and done. They maybe should have been, but they were not one and done. Yeah, they weren't 10 seconds off the pace. No. <laughs> so that's a not. lot worse. All right. Well, that brings us to Tweets of the Week, and we have a few. First one from Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. Hear me out. Alex Polo. <laughs> Thought that was funny. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony DeZeno. Me. Can't remember how many hours I spent per project each day this week. Also me. Remembers all the open wheel winners and certain race results for years. Yep, that's that uh, explains us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we get scolded at home for not remembering simple things. Yet, you know, here we are. You know, talking about random split era drivers. Yeah, spouting off 
random IRL guys from <laughs> 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, the, the brains are filled with a lot of uh, meaningless information. Meaningless to others, certainly not us. And then this from Marshall Pruitt, crazy story. He says, craziest part of my day was dialing into a Honda F1 and IndyCar program director interview call and had no color, color ID pop up mid-dial. Those are usually from international friends on various Wi-Fi calling apps. So I answer, and no, it's Joe freaking Montana. My life is ridiculous. What? Yeah. Like random? <laughs> yeah. Why was he calling him? I, I don't know. Haven't, uh, haven't seen a, a follow-up. Huh. Pretty wild. So uh, Marshall uh, said that he, he told Joe the story about when he moved across uh, from his grade school and he was drafted by the Niners and him and his sixth grade buddies knocked on Montana's door. Montana <laughs> answers and we ask if we can mow his lawn. He politely declined, had yet to play his first game, but we were starstruck. <laughs> That's awesome. Remember, Joe Montana was an IndyCar owner with, who was it back in the day? He he had ties to an IndyCar team back in the I day. I did not know that. I yeah. I remember him being at a ra- racing him at a race like on on TV or whatever, but wasn't aware that he was part of a team. Yes, so he partnered uh with Chip Ganassi Racing back in the 90s, back when it was uh Brian Herta and Jimmy Vassar. So he was a partner with with the team. Very nice. Yeah. So the more you know. And yeah, absolutely. Maybe he will be part of our random split era owner of the week. <laughs> a well, spinoff. Let's not forget we David Letterman, Silico owner. In the past, we've had Walter Payton. Very true. Joe Montana, Carmelo Anthony. Who am I forgetting as far as other um, athlete entries? Whew. I feel like there's one big one we're missing. Yeah, I feel like there's one more. Oh, Jim Harbaugh. There you go. Partnered with a Panther. That's right. Back in the day. I think that's it. I think so, too. Least of the big ones. All right. Well, that will wrap up this episode. Next week, we'll be back to recap the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. That is a mouthful once again. Um, But we'll be back to recap the race next week. Thanks for joining us. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. This is New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.